Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. We are live and on the air and ready to go. We will get you ready for your soccer weekend. Whatever is on tap for you, whether it be Premier League or Bundesliga or Spain or Italy or the United States of America or Canada or Mexico or whatever, it's all on tap today. Provided we have time to get to it on this program, Grant Wall, Sports Illustrated. He'll join us, talk about the CONCACAF Combo Bowl powwow in Mexico City yesterday, about Copa America 2016. We'll also probably delve into some of the FIFA fallout. Jerome Valky has lost his job. We'll get into that here in just a moment when we get to the news. But a good discussion coming up with Grant. It's been a little while since we've had him on the web show It'll be a good chance to check in with him on all things world soccer. All right, let's let's do the news ahead of Grant's appearance. FIFA Secretary General Jerome Valky has been relieved of his duties after a ticket scandal erupted. He's been accused of agreeing to a deal to sell World Cup tickets at five times their face value. He was on his way to Russia to take part in a ceremony to mark 1,000 days until the 2018 World Cup when he was... Relieved of his duties, and the plane had to turn around. Quite the humorous event there. Valky has had scandal attached to his name before, but now it appears that it has all come to a head under uh, the situation with the United States Department of Justice going after uh, FIFA corruption. Uh, per the guidelines of FIFA, per the bylaws, it seems that only uh, the President, Sepp Blatter, has the ability to relieve the Secretary General, so this may be a little bit of cover-your-ass mode from Sepp Blatter will get into all of that. Speaking of that uh, CONCACAF Combo meeting, it happened yesterday in Mexico City. CONCACAF and Combo have reiterated their plans to hold Copa America 2016 in the United States. Color me shocked. U.S. soccer was not present, did not take part. But here's your statement. Today in Mexico City, CONCACAF had a very productive meeting with Combo and our broadcast partners, Univision and Televisa regarding the Copa America Centenario. While all parties recognize that there are still issues that must be resolved, we are all in alignment regarding the next steps to be taken, as well as the aggressive timeline toward realizing our common goal of staging the Copa America Centenario in the United States. We remain committed to working with all parties to resolve outstanding issues and operational components of the tournament. We'll ask Grant what exactly it is that's preventing U.S. soccer from taking part in that process although there are reports that they had a different meeting scheduled and it was a conflict. FIFPRO has lodged a legal complaint with the European Commission over the transfer system. They believe that the system harms the players' ability to move between clubs. This is from Theo Van Segelen, the Secretary General of FIFPRO. He said that the complaint was challenging the global transfer market system guard, sorry, challenging the global transfer market system governed by FIFA regulations as being anti-competitive, unjustified, and illegal. And illegal, They want to replace the transfer system, meaning money in exchange for a player, with a bargaining system. So I imagine something more aligned with the way that, the, that uh, sports in the United States do things, players trading teams. Europa League results from yesterday. We had a bunch of them. Here's some highlights. Bordeaux. And Liverpool draw 1-1, so Liverpool starts out with a road draw in their Europa League campaign. Ajax 2-2 with Celtic, Dortmund 2-1 over Krasnodar, Napoli taking down Club Bruges 5-0, Sporting Lisbon 
Losing at home 3-1 to Locomotive Moscow. Dagger for them. Spurs taking care of Karabag 3-1. Dutch outlets have reported that Andres Guardado, the Mexican international, could miss six weeks with an ankle injury. He would miss the U.S. match uh, at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California for that Confederations Cup spot if that timeline holds true. He suffered that match, uh, sorry, he suffered that injury in the match against Manchester United in the Champions League uh, this week. The U.S. women's national team cruised in a win over Haiti 5-0. Carly Lloyd scored a hat trick. The United States outshot the Haitians 40-0, including 17-0 in shots on goal. So, quite the competitive setup there. I remember that the Haitians replaced Australia after the Australian w- women pulled out of the trip due to a labor dispute in Australia trying to get a better deal for the women's national team players, part of a larger labor dispute that involves also the men's team and A-League clubs as well. This is between the PFA, the Professional Footballers of Australia, and the Football Federation Australia. All right, we set the stage. Grant Wall is going to come on. We're going to talk about... Commonwealth, CONCACAF, Copa America, Centenario. We'll talk about the FIFA scandal as it exists right now in the latest fallout with Jerome Valky having lost his job or at least being suspended. One detail I didn't throw in there is that Valky was attempting to negotiate an early exit from his contract, which had three years left. He had always said he would go out with Sepp Blatter because, hey, they're boys. With that uh, three-year contract, he was hoping to negotiate a multi-million dollar buyout of his uh, contract. Did not obviously happen, and now he is uh, suspended. Let's take a break. We'll get Grant Wall on the line. We'll talk to him. It should be a big day here at Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go on Soccer Morning, big Friday edition of the program. Joining us now via Skype, uh, our friend Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated and Fox Sports, and occasionally a colleague of mine on Sirius XMFC. Hi, Grant. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. All right, so, um, you know, yesterday on my satellite show, I declared Copa America Centenario in the United States dead because it seemed like it was dead. It seemed as though if U.S. soccer wasn't going to participate in this meeting being held in Mexico City between Combo and CONCACAF officials, that there was no reason to believe that we were going to get to next summer with the tournament here. And yet the meeting happens and CONCACAF issues a statement that says, yeah, we're still going for the U.S. Explain that to me. This is one of the more confusing stories to follow of anyone that, that I followed in a, in a really long time because it, it depends totally on who you talk to. And yet U.S. soccer is not saying anything publicly right now about this. And so you end up having to talk to them on background. Then you talk to people from CONCACAF and Commaball, and you're like, oh, this tournament's going to happen. <laughs> um, basically, it all comes down to U.S. soccer. And so I think it, as a reporter – it, you, you have to really, you can't say anything with 100% certainty sure. right now. Right. And I can't even 
really say anything. And I talk to these folks. I can't even say anything is really headed one way or the other at this mm. point because uh, both sides are, are pretty adamant. Um, you know, like I think a lot of it comes down to the marketing rights for Copa America Centenario are held still by a group called Datisa, which has been accused of $110 million in bribes in the DOJ indictment. That's a lot of money. That's yeah. a lot of bribes. Yes. And it's the same group. And so if you're U.S. soccer, you're going to want to be very you know, careful <laughs> before you enter into any agreements or go into business with anybody who is already being pursued. You have the U.S. Attorney General saying that more arrests are going to be made. She said this on Monday. Um, and maybe not even just individuals, but entities. So entities could mean just about anything, including organizations involved in this Copa America Centenario. When you look at it from that perspective, I think you do start to wonder if this tournament will take place at all. And uh, so a couple of things here. Uh, as I understand it, U.S. soccer only has one contract that they've signed, and that's with CONCACAF, not with CONMEBOL. So okay. uh, that might have some influence on some of this stuff. Um, and, and also just uh, this list of conditions, which we don't know exactly what all of them are, that U.S. soccer gave in order to host the tournament. What I'm told is that CONMEBOL has come around on some of those conditions – but not all of them. Mm. And until they do, you know, there's, this is basically a negotiation here. And as you and I know, U.S. soccer is pretty buttoned down about how they go about arranging friendlies. So you can, you can be certain they will be about a tournament like this. Do we imagine that that's about those marketing rights and maybe control of them? Or is it a matter of transparency and, and the contract disclosure? I mean, certainly U.S. soccer is not going to want to get in bed with Combable if there are marketing contracts that are shady and that could get them, you know, pressure and, and in trouble with U.S. authorities. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the answer fully to your question, <laughs> yeah. so I think it's it's good for me to say that. But I mean, like as I understand it, in general terms, these are uh, conditions that are supposed to uh, protect U.S. soccer in case the shoe continues to. Break. Okay, so <laughs> how much of this and and what came out of the meeting yesterday is the the officials that were there sort of understanding and being aware of the fact that if if it came down to it the United States would need maybe 3 months i mean you know maybe that's a little short but marketing wise certainly getting the word out and selling tickets that might be tough but you don't need a lot of lead up time for for this country to hold a tournament of this size so they can just kind of put this off and kick the can down the road until it actually becomes a problem but not only for so long though you know i mean this is a tournament that is gigantic and it's supposed to happen you know, just a several months from now, and you're talking about in talking with someone from CONCACAF yesterday, they were like, "Well, you know, we need to get stadiums set up so yeah. that we're not they're not being taken by a Madonna concert." Right. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, this is the stuff that you have to think of if you're organizing a tournament. And yes, the U.S. is a country where it's a lot easier to organize something on short notice, but you still need some notice. Sure, uh, is Madonna still touring? That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, you know, we again. You said it's in, in, incredibly difficult to follow. I'm not talking to anybody with any. You know, I'm not talking about to anybody, any sources or, or that. And I'm still sort of amazed. We had uh, one of the Mexican television outlets, I believe it was Televisa, issue an unsourced statement last week or, or two weeks ago that essentially said, "Well, it's not going to happen in Mexico, so don't get too excited." In, and yet the, the recent reports have said that it could happen in Mexico. Where, where do we imagine Mexico falls on all of this? Well, it's a good question. You know, 
look at who was at the meeting in Mexico City yesterday. It was members of officials of Commonwealth, officials of CONCACAF, Televisa, mm-hmm. and Univision, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to the Mexican FA, but not the U.S. Soccer Federation. So um, that certainly gives you some idea of who the stakeholders are here. Clearly, Televisa and Univision, they're already, they've signed the contracts. They want this tournament to go forward. They're exerting a lot of influence force to try and get the U.S. to agree to this. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen, you know? And so um, I think it's interesting that we still don't have an English language in the U.S. television channel that's, that's signed a contract yet. That certainly shows reason for skepticism mm-hmm. because, um, you know, it, it, there would be a, you feel a lot better about things if there were that situation. Yeah, I imagine it uh, maybe just a little radioactive at the moment with everything, everything yeah. swirling around. Um, from a from a Mexican television perspective, I mean, you mentioned, okay, so Televisa, we know they're a, they're, they're a huge television outlet in Mexico. We know Univision is the Spanish-language broadcaster of note in the United States. Is that tournament, is the tournament much more valuable? Certainly, well, I, I mean, I guess I could reason out why it's more valuable to Univision to have it here. Is it more valuable to Televisa to have the tournament in the United States? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, clearly what's coming out of the meeting yesterday is they're saying publicly, we're not talking about having this tournament in any other country but the United States. They are, they're really trying to force U.S. soccer to make a decision here. I don't know how U.S. soccer is necessarily going to respond to that. I don't think they like being put in a corner mm-hmm. uh, to be the bad guy. Um, but clearly they haven't gotten what they want to, to announce they're going to host the tournament. Um, you know, I, I'm fascinated always by how much power the television networks have in Mexico over just about everything in soccer there, including hiring of national team coaches and, and guys who run the federation. Uh, Televisa has just a, a crazy amount of power uh, in Mexico that we would never see anything like that in the United States. And yet Univision is a pretty powerful entity as well. And they put out their own you know, news story yesterday saying confirms Copa America Centenario will take place in the United States. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's not really true. Um, it, it's just such a bizarre story at this point. Yeah, you know, and, and, and maybe, I, I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm advising fans to do, Grant, is to sort of, you know, view everything that's happening with, uh, with a skeptical eye. Just, I guess, have a little hope because it would be an amazing tournament to hold in this country. I guess... You know, this is just I'm asking your opinion here, obviously not as a reporter, but is it worth it for the U.S. to to hold this tournament with all of this stuff follow, uh, swirling around? Does the is the juice worth the squeeze? I mean, obviously it would be massive. It'd be the biggest thing since 94. It's not going to be a World Cup level, but it's as close as you're going to get. From a soccer perspective, in theory, this should be a great tournament for the United States, you know, on the field to get a. Uh, uh, you know, a real challenge against some of the best national teams in the world with theoretically the best players in the world. I still can't believe that this event got on the FIFA calendar, um, which allows guys like Messi and and Suarez to, and Neymar to come. Um, You know, you still can't be certain that's what would happen, but I find it amazing that they got that far. Um, So yeah, from a soccer perspective, I think it would be a good thing. I've always said that, you know, in between world cups, I wish the U S had, more competitive challenges because Confederations Cup is never guaranteed. Uh, Gold Cup is nothing like the Euro. Uh, and this event could be something like that. Mm. Very interesting. Um, you know, again, this is all tied up in the, in the FIFA scandal. Uh, the indictments lev- uh, uh, brought down by 
Loretta, Loretta Lynch in the Department of Justice, as, as you mentioned, um, as you said, she, she uh, did announce that there are going to be more arrests. We, we don't necessarily know who and where and where, uh, who and where and when, um, but this is continuing to have an impact, uh, I guess, on, uh, on, on clearly on the world's game. But, but how, does, how does U.S. soccer fit into this? Because, again, I've, you know, I've sort of said on my show, I don't understand why we're not getting more out of U.S. soccer in relation to this unless they are um, just shutting up shop and circling the wagons in, in light of the connections to Warner and Blazer. Well, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that U.S. soccer uh, is a lawyered-up organization, not just because of this situation, but always. Right. And so they are very protective about putting themselves in any, ri- you know, any level of risk. Um, I will say that you know, at this point, as I'm sure you would agree with me, like I don't make any assumptions about anyone being 100% clean oh, no. in, in no. the soccer world. No. Um, it's kind of like you know, you know performance-enhancing drugs in sports. <laughs> uh, and yet, to this point, uh, U.S. soccer has not had anything come out in any of the you know the 169-page indictment um, to, to implicate them yet. Um, now, does that mean they won't later on? Not necessarily, mm-hmm. but so far they've, you know, the first, you know, huge wave of scrutiny from this forensic investigation over multiple years, I guarantee you that the Department of Justice has checked out U.S. soccer a lot in all of this. Mm-hmm. And so far we haven't seen anything specific, no indictments, mm-hmm. um, no co-conspirators that are, you know, people in the U.S. Soccer Federation. So we'll see where it goes from here. But so far, they, they've stood up to the scrutiny. You know, again, all of this stuff uh, connected and the, 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 the various relationships and everybody's operating in the same circles, whether it's Garber, Galati, uh, NASL officials like Peterson and obviously formerly uh, Aaron Davidson, who's under indictment now. And, and you know, I, I see a lot. There's a lot of people out there. In the soccer, in the American soccer community, Grant, who have uh, who, who are very very cynical about all of this stuff, and and even if U.S. soccer doesn't have anything directly at- attached to them, they they may believe something's going on there. They certainly believe that U.S. soccer plays favorites with with MLS over the 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 current um, dispute with NASL and and the standards that are uh, I guess being debated um, to for Division One. There's the I had somebody throw at me yesterday that well, U.S. soccer didn't go to this meeting in Mexico City and take part in the discussion. For Copa America, because some doesn't have a piece of this, and if some doesn't have a piece, then they're not interested. I mean, how do we start to unpack all of that, and how do you counter any of that argument? I, I guess part of it is is that I think it's good to be skeptical. I think it's uh, you know you really shouldn't be naive about any anything involving soccer. Uh, at the same time, you know, as as you and I know, there's lots of fringe elements out there connected to soccer on the internet uh, in the United States that. Have some pretty interesting conspiracy theories uh, involving U.S. soccer, and, and you know, all I can do is uh, try to get a sense of what's real and, and you know what is not. Um, and you know, I, I look at, at at some things over the years, and, and yes, Neil Gulati was very close to Chuck Blazer. There was a real personal friendship there. Um, and yet, I think it's important to note that just because someone is close personally. Uh, just because someone took a picture with somebody, uh, if Don Garber took a picture with Chuck Blazer, that doesn't mean that Don Garber uh, was involved with Chuck Blazer in, in the stuff, the illegal stuff that Chuck Blazer was doing. So I, I think it is important to 
to remember all that stuff when you know you're looking at investigation and trying to deal with facts. Mm. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, logic dictates that if you're going to do something like Chuck Blazer was doing um, in partnership with with Jack, you keep that circle very small. <laughs> you don't go and and let everybody know, even especially people with power, because. The, the whole thing could come crashing down on you, and as it did eventually for Chuck Blazer. Now, we've also got new, uh, new, new um, fallout in, in terms of FIFA in relation to Jerome Valky, the Secretary General of FIFA. He's been Blatter's right-hand man for quite some time. He, he wasn't a clean individual when he entered the organization, and now he's been implicated in a, a ticket scandal, uh, something as, uh, akin to what Warner was uh, implicated in, I suppose, or... I'm not really even clear on the details. All I know is that he's lost his job. He's been suspended, relieved of his duties, and uh, a private plane was forced to turn around that was taking him to Moscow for an event today. Um, Is this bladder... Again, I I don't know how deep this stuff runs, but is this bladder just playing it safe in light of everything that's going on with with Loretta Lynch and and the United States authorities? Well, I mean... You know, Jerome Valk is, I think it's important to note, you know, basic, you know, he's Blatter's right-hand man, the, the number two guy at FIFA, runs FIFA's uh, administration on a day-to-day basis, has for a long time. So, uh, you know, all the arrests and, and the indictment from May were connected to people in the Americas, right. uh, not people in Europe. So I think this is an important moment. It's not coming out of the DOJ investigation, but uh, I think it is important that you have people in real positions of power at FIFA in Europe who are now being implicated in things. It's important to note about uh, his lawyer denies all this stuff, uh, as you might expect. Um, and yet this is a, a serious enough charge that uh, FIFA has released him from his duties uh, and will have their own investigation, even though we know that FIFA investigations are sort of toothless. Um, <laughs> You know, Jerome Valk, in many ways, has been the face of FIFA for tournament draws. You know, when you turn on your TV uh, for the World Cup uh, initial draw from St. Petersburg a couple months ago, um, you know, that's Jerome Valk is the master of ceremonies in a, in a usually creepy, unintentionally hilarious show. But, that, <laughs> you know, that's the guy they put out there. So yeah. he was supposed to be involved in this event a thousand days out from the World Cup in Russia. Uh, today, I think, and no longer will be involved in that. But uh, here's a guy who, it, he has an amazing story when you think about it, because he's been, you know, the U.S. has gone after him before. A New York judge uh, basically, uh, you know, got Valk for, um, uh, I think it was a, a deal with Visa and MasterCard mm-hmm. in a lawsuit that took place and caused him to get fired back in 2006. And then amazingly, Sepp Blatter hires him very soon as his right-hand man, general secretary. So he's been a Teflon guy for a long time, and yet now he seems like he really is on the way out. Uh, and I'm curious to see how that impacts everything that FIFA does because uh, he's a huge part of World Cup 2018 preparations and making sure that everything gets done on time. Well, as you said, the the original list of indictments was for people in the Americas, um, and, and and there's been some some serious uh, fallout from that. But is it is do you think it uh, is actually scarier for FIFA that that when Loretta Lynch made this statement that there will be more arrests, she did it in partnership with her with her Swiss colleague that there was this was a European authority speaking in you know the home of FIFA speaking directly about what they were investigating talking about that seized property in Switzerland and the likelihood that there was a money laundering scheme I mean this stuff is that that's big for that group in in Europe that that cabal 
Well, it certainly sends a message. Now, I guess there was some event of attorneys general from around the world in Zurich, and so this seemed like a good opportunity to have a press conference together. But, um, you know, it, it certainly appears that the U.S. authorities and the Swiss authorities are working hand-in-hand. Uh, and this is a, they're separate investigations, right? So the U.S. investigation is sort of into general soccer corruption around the world, whereas the Swiss investigation is specifically into the bids for 2018 and 22. But I, I can't wait to see what these guys get because they've got subpoena power in a way that none of Michael Garcia's investigation or any other FIFA investigation had uh, into those, you know, those World Cups, which is what really that's sort of the signal event. If there's one event that caused all of this stuff over the last several years. It's the votes for World Cup 2018 and World Cup 22. And, and so I'm pretty excited about all this. I think if there's... If we're ever going to know, it's going to be through something like this because they've got real power. It's fascinating to me that this whole thing is so open-ended, Grant. We, we really don't know what's coming. There, is so, there are so many. I mean, FIFA could completely crumble and somebody's going to have to step into the vacuum and, and, and figure out a way to, to replace FIFA. Or, you know, the leadership of FIFA could turn over, although I'm always concerned about individuals being involved who are corrupt who did not get caught up in the net uh, there are the the both of those world cups you mentioned are are sort of in play as possibly being uh discovered to have been corruptly voted for what we don't really know and i, I and and i think that's the sc- not scary it's it's thrilling but it i guess in some ways maybe it is scary well, I mean, it's kind of like the, uh, the old show, The Wire, right? You know, if you follow the money, you never know where it may take you. And, and that's the, the exciting thing about investigations like this. Who would have thought that it would be World Cup 2010 in South Africa and a potential, you know, a, not potential, it appears to be a flat-out bribe paid to Warner and Blazer by the South African government. Yeah. Uh, who would have thought that that was the World Cup that might really implicate some folks? Uh, so you never know where it might take you. I was on a panel the other day at the NYU Law School about the investigation uh, by the Department of Justice, really taking a, a close look at the indictment, uh, how it works legally, and what may come next. And I, they tell me that they're going to post that video online the next few days. So I'll do that on my Twitter. I, it, for me, it was a learning experience because I was the only journalist there. It was a bunch of lawyers, mm-hmm. including a guy who uh, who worked for the uh, for the Department of Justice at one point on the investigation, um, but it was a, a useful experience to kind of look at it from a, a law perspective. Uh, Grant, since I have you, and, and you know, this uh, again, just sort of fleshing this out, getting your thoughts on on some of the the things that are swirling around American soccer. All of this stuff affects it from the outside. From the inside, we have another infighting situation between leagues. Um, speaking of lawyers, uh, the the antitrust noted antitrust lawyer Jeffrey Kessler, who uh, represented Tom Brady and has been involved in some other lawsuits going all the way back uh, many many years has uh, issued this letter, uh, released this letter that he sent to U.S. Soccer uh, protesting potential changes in the D1 sanctioning. This is not done, and it's probably going to play out over months. And I know there was a meeting last week. Do we have any insight into, first of all, if if NASL decides to go to court? I I mean, I'm just sort of worried about that from a soccer perspective, being a fan of the game here uh, and our history. But is it do you think that that's the right move for a league like NESL who has aspirations, has you know, wants to challenge for the top spot in in this country, but is probably a ways off from from being anywhere near doing that? 
I guess I would like to hear more, and maybe there's some journalistic things I can do on this one, just about what NASL's aspirations really are and, and how that differs by team. Um, because my sense is the New York Cosmos have much higher aspirations than teams in Edmonton or Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I you know, I, obviously you want to hold U.S. soccer accountable, and, and if the courts do that then, and find that this is illegal, what they're trying to do, then that's a problem. You know, maybe this is all a negotiation, public, this public stuff, or what may be part of a negotiation tactic behind closed doors with U.S. soccer right now. Um, at the same time, you know, some of the quotes I've seen from Kessler say NASL is on the verge of threatening MLS, and, and I just don't agree with that from a soccer perspective based on what I see right now. Um, you know, even their most ambitious team, the Cosmos, I live in New York, they're not close to threatening MLS for or the MLS teams here for interest. You know, they, they barely draw out Hofstra, and, and um, you know, they just nobody talks about him uh, much in in New York. You know, and that goes back to that conspiracy theory element because there are people who have told me that that they they honestly believe MLS is lobbying against the the New York Cosmos Stadium to keep the Cosmos from threatening uh, the MLS dominance of of that market, such as it is. Uh, There there are moving so many moving parts to this story as well, and there's another thing U.S. soccer has to juggle. Uh, You know, I just don't don't know. I mean, again – sort of the notion that we need divisions is up in the air. I mean, you could argue that without promotion and relegation, there's really even no, no reason to label these divisions. Yeah, I, I guess the way I look at it is, even though soccer is growing in the United States, this kind of it's still not that big. And it reminds me a little bit of back when there were two women's professional basketball leagues. And you're like, why on, on earth are there two women's professional basketball leagues, you know, and one of them ended up going away, but um, it, it, the pie's only so big, right? And so if, if NASL can get bigger than MLS, by all means, please do that. Their rules theoretically should allow them to do that right now, and yet it hasn't happened. Uh, and I don't know if necessarily it's sanctioning on Division One that's preventing them from doing that. Um, but I, I do know where I see the NASL right now, and timing-wise, um, you know, not a great time for the league when you think about it. Now, yes, you are getting some owners coming in like Paolo Maldini and, uh, and Ronaldo from Brazil. Uh, you know, those are good things, and, and, and yet you know, the guy that was in charge of the NASL for a long time until not very long ago, Aaron Davidson, yeah. uh, has been indicted. Uh, and, and so you're, you're kind of like, you know, maybe not ideal timing for the ASL trying to flex its limited muscle. It's it's just again, I think we have a, maybe an issue, and this has always been true about soccer because of its position in the the social, the cultural, sports hierarchy in this country. It, it, it draws people who see potential, and then because there's potential, you have to push it. It's almost like it almost comes with the with the deal. I mean, there are there are owners out there. Um, down in San Antonio, they have a very different idea of how to run that team and why they're do, they're doing what they're doing. But for most of these these people, they, they are you know they're entrepreneurs, Grant, and and you can't tell an entrepreneur that there's a that there's a ceiling. No, that's true, and and I honestly don't think there is a ceiling uh, right now. Um, now, if they feel like they want to make a legal challenge of U.S. soccer, by all means, go ahead. And if you win that case, maybe that helps you. Mm. Um, it, it's I just would like to know more about what NASL wants to be and 
you know, how many of their owners actually feel that way. Yeah, there's a good piece by our, um, by our friend Neil Morris at yeah, WRALsportsfan.com. It kind of goes into some of the background. He did a lot of interviews. So that's a good place for a lot of people to start on that front. Um, last thing I'll, I'll ask you here. Uh, Don Garber was at Soccer X, I don't know, a week and a half ago. Uh, as he is wont to do, it's it's an industry event, so we have to keep it in context. And of course, Don Garber is the ultimate salesman when it comes to MLS. That's his job. He made some comments about th- he really believes MLS will be thought a lo- uh, you know thought of alongside Serie A, La Liga, and maybe the Premier League in in ten years or less. I mean, that's an incredibly yeah. short timeline. We know about his twenty twenty two comments, which I-, I consistently bring up because it seems like they're a long way off from that. Is is Don Garber talking out of both sides of his mouth? How how can the league possibly talk about those things without opening up, uh, spending more on uh, certainly on mid level players with being the the kind of entity that they are, uh, you know, fostering sort of this budget minded uh, t- take on soccer, which again keeps the league going, keeps the league afloat. But but if you're going to say these things, it's it's hard to imagine them getting there without backing it up. I guess I've come to believe that this is similar to U.S. Soccer's Project 2010 that they announced in uh, 1998, which was, we're going to try to win a World Cup by 2010, which a lot of people didn't take seriously. Um, And yet, the idea being that they weren't necessarily serious about that target, but by saying so, they were able to get a lot of sponsor money, especially from Nike. And in that way, you could argue it was completely successful. Mm. Um, and there may be something similar happening here with Don Garber announcing that MLS wants to be one of the world's top leagues by 2022 because realistically, I don't see how it's possible because we know exactly how much television money they're going to get yeah. between now and 22. And it's not enough to, to rival uh, the Italian league, much less the Premier League. Um, and... And yet, you get the sense that he's selling something potentially to people who can give him money. Now, maybe that's um, an apparel company uh, to become the official outfitter. I'm curious to see if Adidas continues being that for MLS or maybe something like Under Armour, who certainly is rising ahead of Adidas in, in the U.S., might come in there. Um, you know, maybe it's uh, television interest from other countries that he's trying to stoke. Right. but. Uh, I don't know if deep down he even believes it's possible. Uh, I mean, you look at, we know that what the salary cap is going to be or the salary budget per team in 2019, and that's like $4.2 million. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way. No. You know, it, it, that's just three years before uh, you know, what Garber's pronouncing. So um, very curious to see how, how this plays out if, if they change their tune or if they just kind of keep this up. You know, Garber's been saying this for a while. I'm always fascinated by how he and other MLS people tell the story of the league outside the United States. And I know that they get a lot of positive response from soccer business types in Europe uh, when it comes to saving on costs and salary caps. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, Don Garber probably, you know, I would assume behind closed doors over there running a victory lap on uh, the CBA deal that they were able to do with the players, because that certainly saved a lot of costs. It it definitely seems as though it's a receptive audience in a lot of ways. We've got uh, a German official, I can't remember who it was, talking about a salary cap there in Germany. Um, This is, you know, we get regular mentions of some of the things that American sports do and and obviously MLS do in Europe as a possible future. I I don't know how far off we are from that. We got FIFA Pro now challenging the transfer system, which would be a major shakeup 
to to uh, to to that uh, environment if it happens. And and I wonder if that's part of Garber's calculation, Grant. If he's sort of imagining a future where European soccer looks very different. Maybe we even have a super league, and La Liga looks different because Barcelona and Real Madrid are no longer playing in it. That kind of thing. Maybe um, you know, uh, it's it, it's something where we've been talking about that possibility. And I started this job in the '90s, and I remember talking about it then, and it hasn't really changed all that much, but. Um, you know, clearly we are seeing a lot of money being spent in Europe on, on salaries and, uh, and, and a lot of the executives over there see MLS's model and, and are kind of jealous in some ways. But um, at the same time, it's not like that will ever work over there. I, I don't see that happening. I'm very curious about this Fifth Pro thing because, um, you know, I, I know some of the people over at Fifth Pro. Uh, Andrew Orsati is the guy who is their media head. Um, you know, I'd like to see them get a victory in something. They haven't had too many victories over the years. Um, and in general, I think player power is much less in soccer, European soccer, than it is in other sports, big sports here in the United States. Um, and there's a lot of reasons potentially why. It depends on the country, too. I know yeah. Spain has kind of more solidarity among their players than other countries over there. It seems as though there's not a lot of collective power, but individually a player wants to move, he can make a big stink and probably get a move. But that's, again, the the, the transfer system, it's interesting to see Fifth Pro uh, take this on because the transfer system in, in a lot of ways does benefit players. I mean, players move just so they can get their 10% or whatever it is out of the transfer fee. Yeah, you know, and, and guys like agents like Jorge Mendez uh, have ridiculous amounts of power over there and and so technically you know, he's a player's guy so uh i think basically the sense i get is that player power does exist on an individual scale and if you're georgia mendez representing some of the top players uh, on that scale but not so much uh for the rank and file grant wall from sports illustrated obviously you can see him on fox sports covering mls games from the sideline and doing a yeoman's job of it in his first year. Grant, appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Good, good stuff. I mean, so many things to cover here. Uh, you know, we could spend a couple hours doing it and still not get through it all. Always a pleasure, Jason. Take care. There goes Grant. Good stuff from him. We're going to check the phone lines. We're not positive that they're working, but we will check them out. If they are, we'll talk to you. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on a Friday morning. It is Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. We call it soccer here. No, I'm kidding. We call it whatever. We call it football. We call it flarf ball. We call it, it's not that flarf ball is not a real word. No, there's no culture on earth that calls it flarf ball. I just use that as who cares what we call it. It's all the same sport. It's all the same game. We all love it very much. Here we are. Phone lines, they're working. We'll see for how long. We, we pre- we're pretty sure we're good to go. 646-832-3909. So you've been waiting all week, well, last couple of days anyway, to get on the air 
to talk to me about whatever's happening. You haven't had a chance. Now you can bring up Luke Shaw. You can bring up Andres Guardado. You can bring up the CONCACAF Cup game. Uh, obviously, Copa America Centenario. FIFA scandal. MLS. I mean, I haven't even looked at the schedule for the weekend. I mean, so many things have happened in the last day and a half or so. FIFA Pro and the challenge to the transfer market. I mean, come on. This is interesting, fascinating stuff. If this show was more like an NPR program, we'd have some like carefully edited uh, story on Fief Pro's challenge, and we'd get Gabrielle Marcotti, who we've never been able to get on the show. I'm very sad about that. You know, I was thinking about not too long ago. Every now and then, I have this moment where, like, who have we had on the show? Like, I need a list. And I told Trevor he's got to go back through the whole, entire archives and put together the list of people we've had on this show. Soccer morning, two in what? Two years and four months? Two years, five months we're into now? Yeah. Like, it's, we're, we're deep now. Like, I think when we hit three, the three-year mark in 2016, we should have a celebration of some type. We, we've got to. Because I don't think anybody, when this thing started, figured we'd make it three years. And we're going to make it three years, right? Right? I shouldn't, like, prepare for the worst, right? We're going to make it three years. Alright. 646-832-3909. I'm looking. Okay, so we got Fief Pro and the Transfer uh, Market Challenge, which I think is, by the way, that sounds like a bad uh, a bad game show. The Transfer, transfer Market Challenge. Um, the, the weekend. The Premier League weekend. The MLS weekend. It's going to be large. It's going to be huge. In fact, tomorrow morning, you get to start your Premier League weekend, your soccer weekend, if that's the first game of the weekend you're going to watch, with Chelsea Arsenal at 7.45 in the morning. That'll be a good one. And the st- I love the background and the storylines coming into this. Both these teams in the Champions League, Arsenal falling in their first match to Dynamo Zagreb, Dynamo Zagreb, and Chelsea having won in the Champions League after starting the season so poorly in the Premier League, at home, at Stamford Bridge. Are they going to be able to beat Arsenal and get things back on track? Actually, I, you know what? Because of the way the Premier League works, I'm going to uh, go ahead right now and say Chelsea can't win a title this year. They're done. It's over. They may, they're going to finish top four. I think they probably could finish top four. They probably will finish top four, but they're not going to, make the, they're not going to be a champion again. Let's go to Richard in Philly. Hey, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. What's going on with you? I was kind of going along with Grant said about the Cosmos. I, I, I was starting to wonder if whether or not it's not the NESL strong or MLS, where it's the Cosmos strong or NESL. To go well, again, go read the piece by, by Neil Morris if you haven't yet, because he does talk to other owners, and for the most part, they'll, they're all on board. Now, I don't know if that's just a matter of solidarity and and maybe they're being pulled in directions they don't want to go but i do think that there is a collective sense among nesl owners that they can be much bigger than they are now does that mean they want to challenge mls i don't know i mean there's some quotes from david downs who was the original commissioner of that league and he says look I, i think we should be on friendly terms with mls i don't think we should be challenging mls directly but we should be our own thing we should be doing whatever we possibly can to grow NASL, and if that means being one day being on par with an MLS, then then good for them. It's it's I I, I understand why they don't want to just settle into second place, but they should be smart about how they chase that dream of first place. 
I think what they should do is like maybe the old NBA, ABA, AFL, NFL situation. Go MLS goes and teams like okay, we want all of you guys. Yeah, but here. I, how, you know, you got to play, play by a rule. Okay, but that's that's so far down the line. There's there's a matter of the markets in question. I mean, the, people have done breakdowns of this. Why it's a very different situation, Richard. The markets, the the part of the thing that the AFL and the ABA had going for them is that they were in markets that that the NBA coveted at the end of it. That the AFL was in markets that that the NFL coveted. They were doing well in places like Denver and San Diego, and um, I'm trying to Houston. So that was a that that made it more attractive for NFL to go to AFL and said, "Hey, you guys are struggling a little bit with your money. You got some good teams." Well, let, let's merge. I, I don't know MLS is in any place where they need to go to the NASL and say, hey, you guys are cutting into our business. Let's merge. And even if they did, how would that even work? How do the, would the owners sign off on that plan? I mean, there's just so many moving parts there. I, I, don't think, I, I think the media, the media landscape is so different, Richard, that I don't think it allows for the same kind of um, parallel track for these two leagues. Well, I was saying to, I guess, Carson Krishna about weeks ago on Twitter about this, is that they should just go to, to the markets. Like, I would say Cosmos, obviously, all three Florida teams, because they, they can at least run themselves correctly. And then maybe Edmonton and Ottawa to get another Canadian team in. And maybe San Antonio, because I know the talk was always San Antonio wants to come to MLS. Like, here's the markets that want to be here, and you said to yourself you want to go to. What are these guys? I don't see... I need for Riley, not Riley, um, North Carolina. But again, or, you, you, you're sort of working, or, you're working on the premise, Richard, that those, the owners of those clubs would just say, yeah, hey, yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to go to MLS, and I'm not sure that they want to do that. All right. I mean, you know, in some of these places, you're talking about stadium situations that don't measure up. I mean, I know that I know the Rowdies have put a lot of money into their stadium. It's not an MLS stadium. Uh, San Antonio is ready to go, but they've got an owner who operates that team on a shoestring budget because he wants to squeeze out profits because he uses that to help fund the the um, the the theme park for developmentally challenged and, and uh, uh, people with disabilities. That I mean, he's that's when I mentioned that to Grant. Well, that's that's a very different sort of mindset. That's not I'm trying to make money or I even care about the soccer so much I want to go win titles. It's I'm running this team. Because I love soccer, but I also have this other thing I'm doing. So they want to sell that team. If that happens, maybe. But, I mean, there, there are other markets in that, in that league. There are other teams in that league that aren't ready. They're just not ready. So what, how, how would you even handle that? Then I think then the only team in NESL that's maybe ready then is Ottawa. Since stadium-wise, they play in the CFL stadium. And, I, and they're owned by the same guy who owns the Ottawa, Ottawa Red Blacks up there. Who, so he probably had may have the money and the stadium process ready. So that's probably the only team that's ready to move up then, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I want NESL to be its own thing. I want it to succeed. I want those teams to draw strong fan bases. In fact, they've had some real good growth in terms of, of uh, attendance over the last couple of years since they started. But, but I don't want MLS and NESL to go at each other's throats, end up cannibalizing each other. I mean... I'm not saying this because I want MLS to win, but I don't. I find it difficult to believe that the if the NASL challenges MLS on any real level, that they won't be sort of pushed out of business. That the that the the problem with that is that the costs are going to rise so much that eventually you're going to have these teams fold. That that's my concern. I don't want teams to fold, Richard. I want teams to exist. And, and I want them to fold either. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because you know I talked to. Um, uh, I, I talked to Wes Burdine yesterday on my satellite show, and he, he has a piece at Northern Pitch where he says that the, 
this the population standard that U.S. soccer is considering, if that's true, is ridiculous and unneeded. And I agree with him on that. Uh, but there's also this this notion that um, uh, that the that NASL teams have, uh, man, it, it's just that that U.S. soccer is doing the wrong thing by imposing standards at all. But if you look and and, and consider what they did when the USL NASL split happened, we've had way fewer teams fold since they put those standards in place than we did before. Now, maybe that means you have less teams launching, but I'd rather have more teams stay in existence. I, I mean, I'd rather have a fewer number of teams launch and then stay in existence than have 10 teams start and seven of them disappear because he, they, the owners get in over their head. So I, there's good and bad on both sides of this. All right, I agree, agree 100%. All right, Richard. Appreciate the call, man. Right, there you go. All right, let's uh, let's check in with our man Bill up in New York. What's up, Bill? Jason, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, I want to talk about the Red Bull Portland game this weekend, but before that, you're talking about bad stadiums. The New England game on Wednesday was affected by that field so much. That should have been such a better game. With two really good teams, two really attacking teams, and I think that field played a big part the way that thing played out. I, I thought it was a horrible game. Yeah, look, I'm not a fan of soccer happening at Gillette Stadium, and hopefully New England gets their asses in gear and gets something done. I mean, uh, you know, we can only talk about it so much. I mean, there's no recent movement. Trevor's, uh, Trevor's the leading proponent for Boston being the best, one of the best soccer towns in the country if they put a stadium within the city limits or within the, the range of the tee. So, you know, we can't do anything right now. You're just going to have to play on that terrible turf. Yeah, because there goes a bad stadium that's in MLS. Yeah, no, so I'm, I'm with weekend, you. The, the Portland game. I was uh, I surprised to hear Dave Martinez talking on your show saying he thought we should have sacked guys for the New England game. I completely stick to the other way around. I think this game on Sunday is when we got to sit guys. I think this is a game where you don't send guys on this long trip. I'm actually glad that McCarthy is not going to be able to play because he's got the uh, yellow card accumulation. I'd like to see BWP not go. You know, and go with Sean Rice Phillips for 90 minutes. Go with Malone for 90 minutes. You know, go put a bomb. He hasn't been in there. Put him back up at striker and, and do it that way and get ready for the final push of the season. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I, I certainly think you could uh, rationalize that. you got to pick your moments. I mean, I think, it's, I think that's tough for, for a manager, right, to, or a head coach to have to look at his schedule and go, okay, we've got this many games left. This is where we are in the standings. we got a chance to go for this thing and that thing and the other thing. You know, the, New York's going to be in the playoffs, Bill. So Jesse Marsh is already sort of thinking ahead to the playoffs, but he's also got the possibility of finishing first place. And maybe if, you know, if they go through the playoffs, that maybe that gets him uh, MLS Cup final at Red Bull Arena. That'd obviously be huge for the team um, and, and for the community and for the, for the fans. So, I, you know, it's, it's Portland on the road, then home to Orlando, home to Columbus, home to Montreal, and then to Toronto. So, those three home games, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe you take a break here. Maybe you rest some guys for Portland, especially if McCarty's already sitting because of the yellow card accumulation. Now you can sort of say, well, look, we're missing our, our rhythm guy. We're missing our, our, our anchor there in midfield. Maybe we take this opportunity, as you said, to get, um, uh, to get Gonzalo in there, to get, to get Sean Wright Phillips 90 minutes. He hasn't played 90 minutes yet, has he? No, he hasn't. So I, I, I was real surprised when I heard Dave say that because I agree with everything he says because he's a Red Bull guy. Well, I mean, but, yeah, because yeah, New England's a team that's challenging you, challenging you directly for first place. I, I don't think you can justify resting, guys. Definitely. Yeah. That's right. And, like, if we win that game, we almost lock into second at the worst. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. want to come in first or second. Yeah. 
You know, to me, that's huge. So I thought I was surprised to hear that. And I think this Sunday's game is going to be the game where we sit everybody. We bring out our B squad. Okay. Don't even fly these guys over there. Leave them in New York and let's get ready. Uh, I'm, 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 the I'm sure that's going to make the TV people happy, right? Because that game's on national no, television. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a and that's why playing a freaking game on Wednesday night, I, I, I talked on this before with you. You play a game on a Wednesday night, now you have this short trip where you have to have to, I mean, short days off and you have to go out to Portland. It affects that game. Yeah, you know what? A big game on national TV. I'm not one to usually usually moan about scheduling, except for the international break when it comes to MLS. I think it's hard, but you've got a couple of instances just in recent times. This this situation where New York plays at New England on a Wednesday and then has to go to Portland on a Sunday. We had Sporting Kansas City play. They they played in Portland on a Wednesday and had to go to Orlando on a Sunday. That's that's insane. Why are you shipping these teams across the country on short rest? Why not figure out a way to to have them, uh, you know, do a West Coast swing if you're going to do that? I mean, Montreal got that benefit. Montreal went to L.A. and their next match was in San Jose, and then they get to go back home. So, and they, they rested people for San Jose, and it worked out for them. Well, you know the reason to say it's just not possible to take care of everybody. I know. And like I, I said this to you in the past too, with those early season buys. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah. You know, the second, third week of the season, teams are on by. Yeah. I know, I'm with you. But we can talk about this forever. Yeah, I thanks for coming. Take care. Great Good week stuff. this week. Appreciate oh, listen, it. Yeah. Your uh, bonus show, you have to make sure Jared knows that you're on the air. No, I don't. Because <laughs> now we all know that he has a little thing. Ah, <laughs> Uh, people, that's just going to be so inside for people who don't listen to that show. Appreciate the call, Bill. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. <laughs> that's why I left it in. If you listen to the best soccer show and maybe you listen to the best bonus show, which is not about soccer, you heard, you know what Bill's talking about. Scott in New York, what's up? Hey, uh, yeah, quick thing. Yeah, the bonus show is pretty great. So props on that. Um, and then a couple of things on Red Bull since you're talking about it. I think it's okay to kind of play everyone on short rest because it's nice that they get a little bit of a taste of an informed New England uh, since the prior games haven't been like the first, I think the first time they played New England, New England killed them, but then New York did like, beat them pretty well, I think a month or two ago. So I'm glad that they got a taste of them in New England in form with their starters. Okay. All right. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess, but uh, it's rough on New York, isn't it? No, it is. It is. And actually to another point, I was listening to uh, Tottenham playing Carbach yet, uh, yesterday and they were moaning about the distance, and they were you know, talking about the six-hour flight, and that's exactly what we're doing, and we're doing that in league. So it's funny to contrast kind of the European mentality of travel for the European tournaments, where this is uh, how it happens in league you know, very often here. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I think that's easy to forget that, but then again, you know, people who are talking about MLS all the time, and especially when people want to compare it to European soccer, we bring that up pretty regularly. I don't like comparisons. I don't like doing this. Where is MLS? Is it a... You know what level is compared to what league? I, I'm not a big fan of that. I think there are too many, too many variables, too many caveats, and certainly one of them is travel. One of them, travel makes it so different. Ask Steven Gerrard, who's adjusting right now, what is what it, what it's like to have to travel like that, plus play in 95 degree weather. Because I don't think the man's used to it. Yeah, and I mean this is it's not this is an NFL thing, but like I think there's like there's been some studies on I think the Raiders and maybe the Chargers and how. They're just completely ineffective when they play East Coast games, and it's a, it's a you know similar contrast again on time played and things like that. So it is interesting that we do have a much different mentality here, just in all sports, about travel and playing time, and you know what's quote unquote in form. Yep, yep, absolutely. You uh, you it says you want to talk about some other stuff. What else is on your mind? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm rambling on the internet. No, stuff. ramble um, away. So Friday. First, uh, first things uh, about FIFA. I think it's interesting. Uh, 
it's that they're catching this guy on um, ticket sales because when you think about everything that FIFA is involved in, um, you know, basically scalping tickets above value, I mean, who knows how big this is, but that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of the tail of the snake in some regards because by the time you're selling World Cup tickets, you know, you've established, you know, contracts for, you know, development, you've, you know, established where those cups are going to be played. And so it's very, it seems actually for this being a, you know, public accusation against someone internally, I think it's actually very safe of FIFA to do this compared to the other kind of things that probably will come up in the, during the investigation. No, I absolutely believe uh, that this, that, that Blatter is using this as an excuse to get Valky out, uh, Valky out right now. And, you know, it, it's, it's serious, but it's, it's, not in, it's not directly connected to everything else that's swirling around FIFA. <clears throat> you know, I don't know what's to prevent Jerome Valk from turning on Seth Blatter at this point. But clearly, Blatter is is trying to insulate himself, c- continually doing right. that. And um, you know, I'm I'm starting to come around the notion that maybe Seth Blatter does get caught up in this somehow. Uh, I just I, I don't want to hope. I don't want to dream. Yeah, and I mean, you wonder right now. Maybe they're in the process of doing internal due diligence, and I mean, this might just be a matter of they've you know found documents that are going to be easily accessible by you know the Swiss government or the DOJ. And so they're trying to nip it in the bud, saying, you know, seeing, okay, you know, we have evidence in our hands of this, and we'll have to produce it at some point, so we'll catch it now, and hopefully it'll save off, uh, you know, some things going on in the future once the investigation gets more serious. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. What else you got, Scott? Uh, one very last thing, just, you know, the LASD stuff. Um, I mean, I'm a Red Bull fan. I'm in New York, although I think it's the uh, NYCFC, I think, has been pretty brilliant in terms of getting casual fans, and I wonder to what extent um, LASD is kind of following that same method where you have kind of a generic easily accessible name that doesn't you know it doesn't uh, exclude anyone it's not an inside joke it's not an inside reference to anything um but also it seems like they're really putting a focus on harnessing you know what you know the, the strongest uh, market in their city which is you know me- you know media and culture yeah, um, yeah and and seeing how uh nysc has used their connection with the yankees and how that has in turn you know made it easier to put uh merchandise and models it's easier to get on television it's just a lot easier to have access to things um in the city as opposed to the red bulls and so i wonder if lasd is thinking that that's kind of where they have an advantage in the market is to just get you know for lack of a better word get in bed with them you know with that industry yeah. as much as possible and so it just kind of bleeds into the culture of the city as opposed to the galaxy yeah you know i've come around on this in fact i wrote a piece that's up at us com right now in which i sort of you know, rationalize that this has just got to be the L.A. thing. I mean, I, 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 it's weird to me. I still think their Twitter colors uh, campaign is strange, and the pictures are weird, yeah. and the colors are weird, and the whole thing is weird. But in terms of what they're trying to do and where they're trying to make, uh, to carve out their spot within the, the Los Angeles thing, which has got to be incredibly difficult, I, I, I kind of get it. I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not an Angelino. I, I, I never, I've never lived in L.A. I don't have a full appreciation of it, but I do understand, uh, you know, intellectually that being part of that L.A. thing is different than being in, you know, in Kansas City, for example. Yeah, and if, if there's anything you, if there's anything that's the case in L.A. is that it's better to be popular than good. So uh, I think that that's going to be their their leverage early on versus the Galaxy, who have a perfect thing going on right you, you now. You know, it's so it's so funny though because LA, like you, you want it, it. It's better to be popular than good. It's also better to be cool than good. I mean, I think that's where yeah. they're going with this. And it's but it's funny yeah. to consider so the way things can flip around. Um, you know, 
for years the Clippers were not even the second team in LA, the second basketball team in LA. They weren't even, you know, they were barely a thing at all in LA right. with the Lakers. And then all it takes is one or two players coming along and sort of a, um, you know, an attitude switch. I mean, obviously it helps that their owner uh, had to sell the team because he's a racist. It changed the mm-hmm. it changed the the perception of that team pretty much overnight. And now they're sort of right. they, they sort of have that hipster cool element to them. The, the Clippers. I mean, it helps to be good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But they have that, and I don't know. I don't know if this is something you can bottle necessarily. That that may be the million dollar question for LAFC is whether or not you can actively pursue this like trying to go viral or if it just sort of happens because of the way you go about your business. Yeah. And I, I, it's also, I think right now also maybe it's, it's more about buying in, in terms of advertisers and yeah. you know people who want to go like when they start doing development, uh, getting developers involved. So maybe they're not, they're not talking to the fans yet. They're talking to people who are just as clueless as those owners and at least trying to, you know, seem superficially into it. And then, you know, they'll, get a little more quote-unquote authentic closer yeah. to actually I, I, when season tickets are starting to people. I, again, I like, I, I don't mind the attitude. I've sort of, again, I've come around on the attitude that they have. I just, I just think they need to be a little more, uh, I don't want to say professional, but a little bit more together with some of the pro, some of the, the actual projects that they're running. I mean, the, the Twitter thing could be so much better. You Maybe if you've established your name, I know they're doing this color thing, but start getting stuff out there I don't mean stickers. I mean nothing. No tchotchke stuff. No little. Get something. Yeah. You know, get something out there. Find a way to make a snapback that people want to wear and get it on the head of a celebrity or two because that's the biggest thing in L.A. Right? Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't. I mean, really. I mean, if you have a cool, if you have a cool logo and people think it's cool and identify it, you don't even need a team yet. They don't even nope. need to put on a team. There's exactly. no rush. They just need yeah. that merchandise. Absolutely. Appreciate the call, Scott. Good talk. All right, take care. There goes uh, Scott. Last call for phone calls. Just a minute or two left here. 646-832-3909. We'll wrap this up. Uh, Robert out in Los Angeles has got, uh, he's asked me what the what my upset of the week would be. Uh, I, I don't know what leagues he's talking about necessarily, but I'll take a look at the Premier League and the MLS schedule. you got Chelsea Arsenal tomorrow morning. Ar- Aston Villa West Brom. By the way, I'm wearing an Aston Villa shirt right now, if you can't see that. And the guy at 7-Eleven. This morning said, oh, Aston Villa. And I was like, wait, what? And, and I re- forgot I was wearing it. And then he started asking me about, did I watch their last game? And I'm not really an Aston Villa fan, but they lost to Leicester. And I remembered that. So yeah, it was a nice little exchange. Aston Villa West Brom, Bournemouth Sunderland, Man City West Ham, Swansea versus Everton, Stoke versus Leicester, Newcastle versus Watford, uh, Sunday matches, Liverpool, Norwich, Southampton, Man United, uh, Tottenham, Crystal Palace. Um I don't know if I see an upset in any of those. If Palace was at home, I could see them beating Spurs. Uh, Southampton, I could see them getting a draw out of that game with Manchester United. Maybe that's an upset. Uh, but that game's at you know that game's at uh, Southampton. Um, I don't see I don't see any other ones. Man City will take care of West Ham despite uh, the Hammers playing pretty well so far this season. Uh, Stoke and Leicester, those are two, uh, you know, Leicester's high up the table at the moment. I guess you could argue Stoke beating them would be a, an upset, but that game's um, at Stoke. Newcastle and Watford, those are two bottom feeders, so it, it's really tough to pick a game out of the Premier League schedule. Uh, in terms of the MLS schedule, tonight you have Sporting Kansas City and FC Dallas, uh, which will be a good one. Uh, Sporting Kansas City desperately needs a win, and they're at home. Toronto, Colorado, 
NYCFC and San Jose, DC United, Columbus, Vancouver, Seattle in a first of two games they'll play back to back. One of them being in the Champions League next uh, week. Montreal, New England. I could see Montreal beating New England at home with everybody rested up. Um, I, I maybe a draw in that match, but I could see Montreal winning that game. It, w- it wouldn't be over. It wouldn't be a huge shock. I know New England's the hottest team in the league right now, but uh, with some of the pieces Montreal has. Their ability to play, uh, to sort of absorb, absorb absorb pressure and then get the ball to Piatti and, and Drogba, I could see them. I'll do that. How about that, Robert? I'll pick Montreal to beat New England. It's not a it's not a real smart pick, but that's a that's that's I think it's a decent shout. Chicago and Orlando, RSL, LA, and then uh, the Sunday matches: Portland, New York, and Philadelphia and Houston. That's Philadelphia and Houston on Fox Sports One on a Sunday night. Man, woo! I'm ex- no, I'm not. No offense, guys. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Phone lines are done. You guys got, have gotten in. We've had a good talk with Grant Wall, an excellent talk with Grant Wall, as a matter of fact. Thank you very much for listening to Soccer Morning this week. Please go to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Uh, iTunes is a major driver of interest in Soccer Morning and listeners. And the more you rate it, the more you review it, the more people that listen, the more likely, are to get, uh, more likely we are to get to year three. That's all I'll say about that. Um, follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Trevor, anything else? Am I missing anything? I feel like I'll throw this pencil right at you. Yeah? Pen. It's a pen, not a pencil. No? Okay. All right, we're done. Thank you very much, guys. Big week. We'll be back on Monday to review the entire weekend. Talk about the more, more of the FIFA Fallout, Copa America Centenario. See you then. Later. Disappear What I put my heart on every cursive